So I'm going to be reading from Genesis, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to kind of jump through two chapters because they're two long chapters, and uh, your time is important. We're going to start at Genesis 18:1. So I'm going to read from verse one to verse eight. It says, "The Lord appeared to Abraham near the tree, great trees of Mamre, Mama. I don't know what is it. Someone's there's a scholar here that knows how to pronounce that." You can be bold. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in the eyes of my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayers of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He brought them some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set them before them, set these before them. And then we are going to jump to verse 20. Uh, so there are three visitors here. Two of them are, we think, angels, probably, and one of them is God. And so God has this conversation with themselves and says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what, I, what has been done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. In the beginning at verse 19, it says, The two angels arrived at Sodom, so now they've been revealed as angels, at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up and to meet them and bowed them down with his face, says, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bread, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called out Lot, where are these men that came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. And then jumping to verse 24, um, the angels blind the people in the city and they escape. And so does Lot and most of his family. And then we jump to verse 24. It says, then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in those cities, but also the vegetation and the land. Let's pray. Lord, it is always with great humility that we approach your teachings, and it is with great excitement that we ask to reveal more and more of your heart to us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. 
yo, I'm gonna say there's like some new people here and some people that haven't been here for a little while and they're like, wow, we chose a choice Sunday to arrive, didn't we? <laughs> Uh, my name is James. I'm the pastor of Wellspring Worship Center, and we are on to second week number two of our series, Bad Ideas About the Bible. Uh, last week, I think I called it Bad Ideas from the Bible, which is a really bad, that's a bad name. We could pretend it was never called that. Uh, last week, we looked at this bad idea that God is mad at me. And this is something that I think quite a lot of us may have been told uh, growing up. We may have been told that from a very young age, actually. We may have been told about it from angry street evangelists that uh, scream about love in a very, very angry way, uh, which isn't the way that I think we should do things. Uh, but sometimes, yeah, from a very young age, a, a parent from the neighborhood dropped by the church last week uh, to ask about the VBS, which Marsha is leading. And she said, is it going to be scary? And I was like, Marsha is maybe the least scary human being in the entire world. So, <laughs> But what she meant is that the last time her child went to VBS, they basically told her child the entire time that she was going to be uh, burning forever, which isn't uh, great, by the way. Uh, I will say, uh, our Sunday school is great. Our Sunday school teachers aren't here to hear it, but it's important that we affirm that. Um, Chloe, uh, Marsha's granddaughter, you're getting a lot of shout-outs today, Marsha, by the way. Um, they were going to Canada's Wonderland last Sunday, uh, but they dropped by here on the way. I'm like, wow, you chose here instead of doing something fun? And Chloe's like, no, I'm doing two fun things. I'm like, ugh. Chloe, you're my favorite. <laughs> uh, Liam, Chloe's brother, actually, uh, was complaining about Sunday school uh, and said, ugh, it's just they just talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm like, yeah, well, deal with it, Liam. <laughs> That's all I do either. So. <laughs> so we're trying to bring people out of that way of thinking. And last week, we looked, uh, also looked at the idea that the times we think God gets mad, God also gets sad. We see God grieving in the Scriptures. And we see how that gives us all space to grieve as well, to know that God grieves alongside us. And there is so many wonderful instances of we, where we see God's heart breaking, which is, is difficult to hear and to see, uh, but I think gives us a lot of permission to grieve too. And then we looked at some of the places in Scripture which get pretty spicy, uh, but those times when actually it's people crying out to God. It's not God crying out, but people crying out to God. And the amazing things that God allows us to say and the way that that gives us permission to be very honest with God. And they say, my friend Xenia's here, and this is what her PhD is on, and she's one of the smartest people in the entire world, so I'm really relieved you weren't here last week. Uh, <laughs> lots of lamentation and sadness. But Scripture gives us space for that, and I think that's really important. God makes space for our prayers, regardless of how angry they are, of how painful they might be to say. Scripture allows us to be completely honest with God. Uh, but today, I thought, you know what, let's look at one of these times where God does get angry, when God does act upon their anger. I thought it's good to look at some of the patterns and the threads that just repeat themselves throughout Scripture, throughout scripture again and again and again. 
And so I thought, you know, let's just go big or go home. Uh, and let's you talk about the time when fire rains down from the sky. I will say, today is Pentecost Sunday, uh, which is a really significant day in the church Canada, where we uh, see the Holy Spirit descend like fire from heaven upon the disciples. Um, we've gone for a bit more literal fire from heaven, but I think it still counts. This is a text. Let's not like beat around the bush. This is a text that has been uh, weaponized against a more progressive theology of sexuality for a very long time. Uh, one preacher, who I won't name because I don't want to, uh, said that, look at what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, and if we legalize gay marriage, he will do the same to us. Uh, spoiler alert, we did and God didn't. So, deal with that one. But my hope throughout all of this, and my hope is always that we are drawn into deeper intimacy with God. My hope is that when we're finished today, we want to know God more. We want to ask better questions. We want to have more and more of God revealed to us. That's always the point of this. If our understanding of God pushes us away, if my teaching pushes you away, I've failed. We should always want to know more of God. We should always want to be drawn in by God and God's love for us. But I think a lot of people's interpretations of this text have pushed people away, and I don't think Scripture should do that. So, here we go. A couple of questions. What is the sin of Sodom? And, and what is it the cry that God hears? Uh, to understand the sin of Sodom, I think it's really important that we understand the importance of hospitality in ancient cultures. Uh, there's a lots of texts around the time uh, outside of the Bible that talk about the importance of showing hospitality to strangers, of showing hospitality the, to people that might not be able to protect themselves. Right? We didn't have Airbnb or hotels 3,000 years ago. So when people would travel, they would often just have to stay in the village square, and that might not be a safe place to be. And so we need to look at those people that don't have stuff and welcome and love them. This is what a lot of the laws at the time said. Um, King Hammurabi had a big law, uh, plenty of stuff in there about protecting foreigners. Uh, the Bible amps it up, because it always does. Um, as Exodus 22 says, you shall not oppress a foreigner in your land. Leviticus 19 says, when a stranger travels with you in your land, you should do them no wrong. Deuteronomy 10 says, love the traveler. I can go on and on and on and on and on. There are very, very few books of the Bible in which hospitality isn't stressed as one of the most important things that we can do as believers. And we see this in our examples today. We see Abraham and Sarah. We see how much Abraham is desperate for the three visitors to say. Now, at this point, he may or may not realize how important these visitors are, but he's desperate for them to stay. Please let me give you water. Let me give you food, rest. Uh, we see a similar thing with Lot. He begs them to stay with him. You see the difference. You see the importance of hospitality, the importance of giving something to someone who might not be able to pay you back. To be really blunt, there just aren't many things in Scripture worse than showing bad hospitality. So Abraham and Sarah offer it. Lot offers it to them. And yet the men of Sodom want to take the man out, and instead of protecting them, they want to rape them. See how 
absolutely at odds this is with God's laws, God's expectation, God's hope for hospitality. And this kind of, this final action serves as an exclamation point to God's decision, which was to erase that city with no one good in it. God heard the cry, and God responded. But I want to I dwell a little bit more on that cry. He says, I've heard the cry of the city. What is it that elicits this response from God? Because it's a huge response. Like, God doesn't do this ever again. <laughs> That's how significant that cry must have been. And we do believe that God hears our cries. We believe that God is moved by our cries. That's what last week was about. We believe that God is affected by our cries. But what is the cry that moved God to action that he'd never do again? So I want to think about that cry, that cry for a moment. And to do that, we need to turn to Midrash. And uh, this may be a new concept to some of y'all, but it's really exciting. It's really cool. I encourage you to like think in these terms, actually. Uh, Midrash is this uh, primarily Jewish discipline uh, in which different teachers try to draw more out of a text. They'll meditate and they'll expand and they'll elaborate on laws and teachings and stories in the Old Testament. And it explores ethical and theological ideas. Um, there's a, a wonderful book that came out a couple of years ago called um, a Womanist Midrash uh, by um, a brilliant womanist scholar called Will Gaffney. And she, she meditates on texts and just brings so much more out of them than I could because she knows what she's talking about. So these ideas, I want to be clear, they're not the Bible, uh, but they're a really important insight as to what experts think what the Bible is. Do you see the difference there? It's what the experts think of the Bible, and those are really important. And the Midrash surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah is fascinating. Like, I really went down this rabbit hole this week. There's like whole books dedicated to it. Um, and the scholars, their big thing is like, what could the cry of Sodom been? Like, what could it have been that elicited God to respond in such a, a final way? Um, so that, and they say, so they're like, well, these cities must have been the most unjust places. It must have been awful there all the time. So one person is like, I, I believe that for God to elicit a response like this, uh, giving water to a thirsty person must have been a capital offense. Uh, like that's how bad Sodom is. Um, they give names to the rulers of the city, uh, and their, their names translate as liar and forger and perverter of justice and awful liar. Um, the book of Yasha, our friend Yasha isn't here today. Ugh. Anyway, the book of Yasha, um, an example of Midrash, uh, provides some insight as to what that cry could have been. This gets kind of grim, but it is what it is. One of the theories is that a rich girl gave bread to a poor girl, and, and because you know, this was illegal, being generous, uh, this girl was burnt alive, and her screams shocked God into action. Uh, another theory, the more popular one, I think, is that a woman had given food and bread to a traveler. She'd shown hospitality to someone. And that generosity offended the people of Sodom so much uh, that they covered her in honey, hung her on the walls to be stung to death by insects. The book of Yasha says this, uh, and the young woman cried out on account of the insects, uh, but no one took notice of her or pitied her, and her cries ascended 
to heaven. Notice what comes up here again and again and again and again. It's nothing to do with sex. It's everything to do with hospitality. It's everything to do with justice. I do wonder if we refer to like sodomy or being a sodomite, if that referred to the act of turning our back on the stranger, of not offering food or water to someone who is thirsty or hungry, all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier and frightening to internalize. And we shouldn't be surprised that the cry that ascends to heaven comes from the mouth of the one who tried to do right, the one who loved justice and hospitality and showed mercy. Just, a, just an interesting little detour as to what scholars have thought about that cry has been. But to, to draw us back from Midrash and back into Scripture, because, you know, that's, that's where we're at. Uh, the Bible actually makes it incredibly clear what the sin of Sodom is. Like, really, really, really clear. So clear what it is that cuts God's heart. And you know what? We're all going to read it together. <laughs> Let's, I, I would love it if y'all turn to Ezekiel 16. It's on page 880 in my Bible. Ezekiel 16. And it says this. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Let's read that one more time. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Isn't that fascinating? The Bible makes it incredibly clear, actually, <laughs> what the sin of Sodom is. And yet, we continue to get distracted. We can ask, what the cry is it that God hears? What is it that breaks God's heart? What is it that brings God's anger to, to levels that we haven't sinned since? But the answer is always the same. It's always the same. The God that weeps at injustice, weeps at injustice here. A God whose desire is to take what is wrong and to make it right. It just, it just comes up again and again and again and again, and, and it kind of blows my mind by the way that we get distracted and the way that we, we make these things into something that they're not. But justice comes up again and again and again. Is it, you know, this is in my, um, in my favorite part of the Old Testament. Um, when, I, uh, when I started working here, uh, Sandy called me up, and she said, what's your favorite Bible verse? Which is, that's a very, that's a high-pressure question to ask a pastor. Also, if I'm really, really honest, my favorite Bible verse for 10 years was Ezekiel 23.20, which says, there she lusted after her lovers whose genitals were like those of donkeys. So, like, <laughs> that's my favorite Bible verse for, like, 10 years, because I'm a child. Um, but I was smart enough to not say that to Sandy, fortunately. And I said, uh, probably Amos 5.24. Uh, which, for those of you that don't know, says, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. 
Uh, and this was actually so Sandy could very generously give me a cross stitch of that verse, which now uh, hangs in my office. So it's, it's probably good it didn't give the donkey channel to the one. <laughs> I would hang that, by the way. <laughs> Oh, okay, total aside, just because God is like wonderful and beautiful, when I was like 19 and didn't know, uh, I knew even less than I do now, uh, and I was having a really rough time, and I was like, God, I just need you to speak to me, and when you don't know anything about the Bible, you just open the Bible and pray that God's going to speak to you through like the verse that's immediately there on the page, and I will say, I don't recommend anyone do this, I will also say God has been so gracious with me every time I have done this. Um, and that was the verse that God gave me when I opened the Bible that time. I'm like, God has a sense of humor. He gets me. Um, <laughs> I can't remember exactly where I was, too. <laughs> but the whole of Amos 5, to bring us back to Amos 5, which, by the way, is better and doesn't talk about donkeys, um, is perfect because it feels like this response uh, to how God hears the cries of the marginalized and the silenced and the oppressed and how they pierce the skies and how they pierce God's heart. And we see God's like white hot rage at those who frustrate justice and create stumbling blocks to the crippled and take food from the hands of the poor. We see God's desperation more than anything. We see God's desperation for the people to turn back. It's like just stop doing these things. Just stop getting in the way. Just stop hampering justice. Just turn back to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a bunch from Amos because I like Amos. This is God speaking. Seek the Lord and live. I will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who may play these, an Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls the river waters of the sea and pours them over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, God destroys the stronghold and brings a fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor. You impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the court. See how it keeps coming up again and again? Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live, and the Lord Almighty God will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice, justice a third time in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Let justice roll on like a river, a river that's 
that's moving. It's not, it's not standing still. It's not stagnating. That river that brings life both inside it and to the places that it splashes over. It gives life to everything it touches. Let justice roll. That's God's heart every single time. And, and it's, why, it's why us getting distracted is, is so difficult. And, and I get distracted all the time, and we get distracted. And, and if we just remembered what, like Ezekiel, what the Bible actually tells us what the sin of Sodom is, maybe we'd be more concerned about those areas of injustice that are so prevalent right now. Like, I'm not saying this so that people just walk away feeling bad. That's not my aim. I don't think, I don't think God just blankets shame on people, and I don't want to do that either. But again, the hope is that we're drawn closer to God and, and God's heart and God's desire for our lives. So many distractions. And, and some of the worst of those distractions somehow blame the marginalized for their own marginalization. Uh, I don't know. I, I listen to news about England because it's where I'm from originally, and, and it just shatters my heart. Like the, the, the rhetoric surrounding immigrants right now. I realize I'm an immigrant here, but I promise you it's not really that self-serving. Like how many Bible verses do they need to be about helping the foreigner? Like I, hundreds of them. And yet, and yet Christians can somehow be distracted and, and think it's more important we get involved in some weird culture war. <laughs> I'll take it. Like every book of the Bible has something about projecting the foreigner. It just does. <laughs> but the focus on cruelty towards the powerless, whilst ignoring those who, who benefit and profit from it, like can we just... Look at who it is that God gets angry with. God gets angry with those with power, those who have choices, those who have resources, and choose to withhold those resources from people that need them. Like, can we do the same? Can we keep our focus? Like, I don't know. I, this is kind of weird. I don't know. There's a lot of talk right now in Toronto and how the subway is kind of dangerous and there's people with uh, some mental health challenges and people experience homelessness. But, like, those people aren't winning, right? They don't benefit from this. Like, who's winning? Who's actually making money out of these things? Who wants these broken systems to keep going? Like, let's not blame the marginalized for their own marginalization, you know? Let justice roll. Let justice roll. Let's not listen to cruel voices that, that draw us away from justice, that draw us away from the heart of God. Preaching on Sodom and Gomorrah was always going to be rough, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to end on a downer because I think there's good and beautiful things happening here. I think it's okay to sit in the discomfort for a moment, um, but it's also not okay to ignore uh, the ways that we are listening to God and we are responding and, and we are seeing fruit and life as a result of those things. Like, I'm, I'm so excited by so many of the things that happen here and, and, and one of the things about my role is I, I get lots of insight and, and have confidential things shared with me about 
um, things that are difficult and the way that people have been helped. And I can't share those things because that's massively inappropriate. But if you knew what I knew, I, I know you'd all be so like proud to be here. But we still get to ask that question, like, what, what, what do we need to do better? Um, I think there were some pieces that Wellspring were quite established in. We were, we were helping out with um, Adam House, which is this refugee house. And, and COVID happened, and it kind of blew everything up. But what do we need to do to, to get back in that rhythm again of, of really being defined by justice? Because I know that's a, a lot of our core. What is it we need to do to get back in that rhythm? My, um, my, my breath prayer for what it's worth is, is uh, let me flow where you flow. Let me flow where you flow, and it's from that Amos piece, but it's like, God, I, like, I want to be where you want me to be. I want to be where you are, so let me flow where you flow, and, and if that's helpful for you in spaces or times when it's stressful or you need help, just, just give those words up. Let me flow where you flow. Like, I, I don't think that we're doing badly, but I know that we can do better. I'm so excited to see the ways that we can do better as a congregation. I know that some of this teaching is hard for people. I know that for some of you, it might be the first time hearing something different. But, and as Ian shared, what's wonderful, it's so good when God changes our minds. It's so good when our hearts are soft and we allow that, that river to create new grooves, that those justice waves and floods just, just spill over into our heart and give life everywhere. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for ways that you reveal your heart to us. Lord, we thank you for the people here. We thank you that though we come from different backgrounds, different stories, different places ge geographically and theologically that we can worship you together. And Lord, we pray that we be sensitive to your guidance, to your leading. We pray as always that we can flow where you flow. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.